The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Nice to be with everybody this morning. So many of you know who've been around coming to these talks on Sunday morning that I've been giving a series of talks on mindfulness of breathing. This is week 14 now, and there'll be just one more week uh, to this series of talks. And then I was thinking we might um, look at the Buddhist teachings on the paramis, these 10 beautiful qualities of the heart. Um, so I'll talk more about that in a, in a couple of weeks. But here at the end of the Buddhist teachings on mindfulness of breathing, it's really all about the awakening process, This last, these last four instructions. Keeping in mind, so if you don't remember the 13th instruction out of the 16, breathing in, contemplating the ephemeral changing uncertain nature. And that could be just aware of the breath, specifically the physicality of breathing in and out and observing the ephemeral, uncertain, changing nature of the breath. Or it could be with a broader lens, being aware of the all of the activity of the moment, the activity of the mind, the activity of the body, but noticing, keeping in mind, keeping in the forefront, the changing, ephemeral, uncertain, <clears throat> unreliable nature of that flow. And just seeing what that sets in motion. And remember, we can do this all day long, not just in our formal sitting time. <clears throat> and you can still do whatever you're doing, taking care of your kid or walking your dog or making lunch. But just noticing the activity of the mind as an endless, uncertain, natural, impersonal flow or the activity of the body or the activity around you, the birds at the bird feeder, the kids in the house, the people you live with. Uh, we're just keeping that <clears throat> the interest, the attention on the truth of change. And it doesn't really keep us from doing whatever else the moment is asking us to do. We're just noticing this. And it, it really, you know, you see this in terms of... Uh, some of the well-known activists through history, like what gave them resilience, some of the people, you know, change agents, what gave them resilience is not that they had this sort of fixed view of we're here and we're going to get there and then the work is done. But often some of the wiser leaders throughout history, they had this sense of timelessness of things coming and going. And their work, their effort was in that context. So it wasn't some fixed idea that we're here and we're going to get there and then it's done. And that, you know, I'm sure, I, I'm not a parent, but I know that some of you are. And, you know, if you just thought about getting to Friday or to the end of the day, it probably <laughs> didn't work very well because somewhere in your mind you realize, no, there was going to be another day and another week and another year and another this and another that. So we have to find a way 
to show up in our lives, show up with our responsibility, show up with our suffering world that, that just needs so much attention and needs a powerful response. Not in order to get the work done, but that that's like the new lifestyle. The Like we have that renewing energy of showing up, doing the next thing. And it's not like, oh, I can do this for a while and then I can't. Well, how can we live in a way where we can keep doing the work that needs to be done forever, as if there's no end? You see how it really changes our idea about spiritual freedom or what is the fruit of a spiritual life. As a, you know, like, I'm good and then I get my reward and I'm like in the special place. As opposed to what freedom might there be here and now doing the work, you know, both the inner work and the outer work? What would that freedom look like? And it's really, a, you know, I tried to evoke this a little in the guided meditation instructions, and it's really <clears throat> about our attitude about the world generally. Like, do we think of the world of our experience, the world of our circumstance as a kind of playground, like it's really here for me to enjoy myself, kind of the Garden of Eden, you know, it's really for me to delight in, delight in the beautiful trees and the nice sounds of the birds and the good food and the good friends and because of course to do whatever degree that's our attitude it's a setup for suffering and then at other times we might think the world's here to get me you know it's like karmic retribution it's here to punish me for my bad deeds and we're always looking out for sort of the next hit you know whether we think we deserve that next hit or not but it's like that's what the, the world is, is here to deliver unpleasantness because I deserve it or I don't deserve it and it's not fair. But we think of the world as sort of like a, an imperfect parent who's not really handling, you know, sometimes they're sort of just, but sometimes they're unjust, unjust, you know, and they're just acting out their own anger. And we sort of project that on the world sometimes too. But both of those stories are just stories and, you know, the world is never going to be, like the Buddha says this in one of the teachings, no matter how we imagine it, the world will always be otherwise. Because there is no story that it can explain the world. Like, oh, this is what the world... Because however I might tell the story or we as people might tell the story, it's always going to be from the self-centered point of view, this... But the world isn't here to sort of fit some view a human being has. That's not what the world is about. But we can choose to use the world, the world of our experience, the world of what's coming and going in our lives, the world of our circumstance. We can choose to use it as a kind of teacher, as I suggested in the guided sit. So we stabilize present moment awareness. We cultivate this wholesome interest this capacity to be interested and the capacity to keep the present moment reality in mind, right? To not slide into distractedness and superficiality and fantasy and, you know, what we normally do with our thinking mind. So we cultivate the stability of present moment awareness, what we call mindfulness, wisdom and awareness. And we choose 
to let the world of our experience be our teacher. And it doesn't teach us with concepts, you know, learn this, say it this way, right? The way the world teaches us is we're really aligning with it. So we use the stability of present moment awareness to align, to relax, to see clearly, feel deeply, and we just keep learning to align because we're realizing a way of being that doesn't depend on a fixed sense of separateness. So that's our teacher, right? We're using the present moment reality, things as they are, Dhamma, and we're waking up, Buddha, waking up to Dhamma. So we're aligning. And that's really what the last four instructions are about. So when that uh, 13th instruction, breathing in, experiencing, or contemplating impermanence, breathing out, contemplating impermanence, impermanence is just the code for the underlying reality. Because the nature of our experience is always, always has, always will be, characterized by flow. And it's only our ignorance that projects that what's happening now is something fixed. Because our ideas, our, our language, our words, concepts, they create the appearance of things being fixed. When I have a name, Mark Nunberg, you know, and then that name comes with memory now, when I say my name, you know, just like if you repeated your name or I say Common Ground Meditation Center or Minneapolis, Minnesota, these concepts and the ideas that gather, the memories, the images that gather with those concepts, right, it creates a kind of static or permanent set fixed reality. But there's actually no Minneapolis here in Minneapolis and there's no mark here, right? That's a designating term, <laughs> word, that, and if we mistake the concept, the label for the reality, whatever mark is, it's an activity of nature. It's flowing. Thoughts are flowing, sensations are flowing. There's nothing solid or fixed here. You can ask a physicist, you know, what is the activity of material form? You know, it's just vibration. And the more you look, the more it's empty. I don't know if you know this about subatomic physics, but, you know, it's just mostly empty space. But we don't think that way. So, and mostly our reality is defined by the way we think and the clinging to the thoughts we cling to. So when we do the practice, we're stabilizing present moment awareness, really feeling the pleasure of being calm and being content with the flow of body and mind and noticing the space of knowing, the space of the knowing mind and really seeing that the space of the knowing mind doesn't require, doesn't depend on any fixed habit of selfing, of, you know, that self-centered thinking, even in the most subtle ways, that that can drop away. So we get a little taste of what freedom, freedom from fixedness is. And then we get this teaching of these last four steps. Well, keep in mind the underlying nature of change, 
flow, non-fixedness. Notice the dispassion. Dispassion is a funny word, you know, and it's okay if you feel in your heart some pushback because it can sound, when we hear dispassion or disenchantment, <clears throat> it can sound like what we're saying is the world is bad. But remember, the whole path depends on being intimate with the world as it is. And the feeling that arises from that is clinging doesn't make sense. It's the attachment does, that doesn't make sense. It's not a negative attitude about the world. It's the realization that this world doesn't need attachment, doesn't need self-centered clinging. It's unnecessary, it's stressful, it doesn't help anybody. And that that sort of movement towards the letting go of selfing, the letting go of fixation, the letting go of clinging, it depends on one thing, being real, being intimate with the way it is. Buddha waking up to Dhamma. That's the whole process. So it's all about stabilizing present moment awareness so that now... And part of the way we stabilize present moment awareness is we took advantage of the inner pleasure, the calm, the joy, the ease, the quiet, the peacefulness, the spaciousness, following that thread. In Buddhism, we call that seclusion. We're secluding the mind not from the world. No, we're secluding the mind from the, its thoughts about the world. That's what we're secluding ourselves from, right? From being in our uh, the constructions of our conceptualizing mind. We're secluding from that, and it's quite healing. And it gets more subtle, the healing and pleasure, right? And then that inner stability really allows the mind then to have a more honest and intimate relationship so Buddha can wake up to Dhamma. And then the fruit of that is the realization that any kind of attachment, clinging, selfing, doesn't make sense. So there's this progression of letting go. And even letting go of the latent tendency to cling, to get attached, to take things personally. And you could see that as sort of the the sort of deeper aspect of spiritual life is this, it's all a process of letting go, but what are we letting go of? We're not letting go of the world. We're not letting go of, uh, you know, love. We're just letting go of what needs to be let go of. We're letting go of something that was never useful or helpful ever, which is this clinging. Because the clinging arises from the wrong notion of experience. It arises from the ideas that we have about experience. And, you know, we see that like if I have this idea, oh yeah, after this talk I'm going to have lunch, and I do have two cookies in the freezer. <laughs> and uh, so if if that thought were to arise and then that image of the cookies in the freezer, there's some pleasantness there, 
And then the mind misunderstands, right? There's the image and the pleasure that goes with the image of the cookies. And if there's ignorance in my mind, then it's going to want to cling as if the pleasantness, like assuming I actually eat those cookies, and the pleasantness that comes, as if it's more than what it is. What is it? Well, it's a momentary gratification, and then it's over. That's what it is. So it isn't nothing, but it isn't... The clinging comes from the idea as if somebody is going to get something that is, in some long-term sense, meaningful. But it isn't. So that doesn't mean I'm afraid to have the cookies. It just means I'm not mistakenly thinking the pleasure of eating the cookies is more than what it is. And that gives me a lot more space, like I can eat the cookies, but I don't have to eat the cookies. Because I'm not mistakenly thinking the pleasure of eating cookies is more than what it is. And that doesn't happen just with small things like cookies in our freezer, but it happens with everything in life. And really, we, we get a sense, because we've all had to deal with places in our life where there's a lot of fear, right? And then we, we learn that the suffering of being afraid is much more debilitating than just being exposed to the truth of uncertainty, that bad stuff can happen sometimes. And to kind of align with the uncertainty and the vulnerability that comes with it. Oh yeah, it's like around death, you know, taking a bigger thing in our life. It's, a, it's very stressful to be in denial of death. We don't see it because we're, you know, like if we're good at being in denial, we don't let it come up. And whenever it does come up, we deflect. Oh, that's something that happens to other people, you know, to squirrels that run across the highway, but not to me. It doesn't, but we don't say that out loud consciously, but not to me. But that's the sort of, that's not what is being allowed into the forefront of attention. Oh, this is going to happen to me too. We don't let that come. And we don't realize the stress of that until we do, we stabilize present moment awareness and we observe what comes and goes. And we observe the clinging, we see the stress and any kind of clinging, attachment, fixation, any attempt to create solid ground. So keep that in mind, you know, the world isn't here for to be our playground to make us happy, and the world isn't here to punish us. The world, to be skillful, the world is to be used as a teacher. So we're trying to align our heart with the reality, the nature of the world, of experience. And to do that, the primary agent is present moment awareness, stabilizing present moment, this wise awareness that can keep the present moment in mind, so not slide into discursive thought. There will be thought, because it's a big habit, and it's a useful tool in moments, of course, to be able to think, but just let all that be there. Oh yeah, just thoughts. We're not 
feeling responsible. And that's really what we've been learning with these 16 steps, by really orienting around that sense of embodiment and the calm and the subtleness and the lightness of heart, the joy and the ease, that really, like being aware of the pleasure of being present allows the heart not to be fixated on thought and the ideas and the meaning that thoughts create, construct. Like the thought about me and mine, I, me and mine, right? So it's really, it's not really easy to get some space around self-centered thinking without cultivating, to whatever degree we can, that inner sense of well-being. It's not enough to hear somebody like me right now telling us that, hey, stop clinging to the sense of self. I mean, that can make a lot of sense and it can evoke some confidence, like, oh yeah, I really need to do this. This, this sounds right. right. But it doesn't change our lived experience very much, if at all. What changes our lived experience is when we actually practice. That's why, you, you know, in early Buddhism in particular, we use that word a lot, practice, because we're training the mind. The mind has gotten into this unproductive habit of using self-centered ideas and clinging to them as a way to feel safe. But it actually creates anxiety. It doesn't create safety. On the surface, it creates a little, just enough, to make us deluded, to think that this could be productive or helpful. But underneath, any idea of a fixed sense of self is vulnerable to reality. <laughs> We're not going to win. Those, uh, those self-centered ideas that imply a fixed sense of a separate self will always be threatened by reality, because that's not how it is. How it is, when we pay attention with this stable present moment awareness, is a movement an interdependent, unceasing dance of causes and conditions, none of which refers back to a self. That's an idea that got constructed, and then the mind, like the one image I like is a whirlpool. The mind has kind of gotten obsessed with the idea. The mind, remember, is just one aspect or the main aspect of nature, depending on how you look at it. This is from, um, I mentioned a while back, a good text. I sent a, I put a link in the chat for a really short article that is really good summation of the Buddhist teachings on mindfulness of breathing. But if you want a deeper dive, this is a great book by Bhikkhu Analio, this German monk, and he's uh, Mindfulness of Breathing, a Practice Guide and Translations. And... Um, yeah, but this is from um, his summation giving after having uh, given the instructions. He writes, Conjoining the pleasant feeling tone of being in the present moment to awareness of the flow of the breath exemplifies a conjunction of tranquility and insight, the latter taking the form of noticing the arising of each inhalation or exhalation, their changing nature while they persist, and their eventual disappearance. In this way, the preliminaries could be made use of in a way that already touches on topics related to the four foundations of mindfulness. 
This is precisely the purpose of the whole 16 steps of mindfulness of breathing, namely to fulfill the four foundations of mindfulness so as to lead via cultivation of the awakening factors to knowledge and liberation. In the case of the approach of the to the preliminaries presented here, we have established bodily seclusion and cultivated awareness of the whole body in the sitting posture, thereby touching on the main theme of the first foundation, mindfulness of the body. Having aroused joyful inspiration through formulating our motivation, we experience pleasant feeling tone of being in the present moment, feeling tones being the object of the second foundation, so the second four instructions. This enables keeping the mind in the present moment and being aware of the actual condition of the mind, which is the central task in the third foundation of mindfulness, the third set of four instructions. Mindfulness brought to the fore then arouses the first of the awakening factors, which are a central topic in the fourth foundation, contemplation of the Dhammas. And this is really the path we talked about today, looking at the changing nature, keeping in mind the dispassion, like, oh, attachment doesn't make sense. Clinging doesn't make sense. That's really what dispassion means. Like, it just doesn't fit. The attachment, the clinging, taking things personally doesn't fit. So the heart relaxes the habit of dispassion and enchantment. It relaxes. It lets go, it lets go, it lets go. Whatever can be let go of is let go. And this is that alignment. The heart is aligning with nature. It's the whole path, aligning with nature. But there's no, we're not aligning with our idea of nature. We're aligning with the actual experience of nature. For those of you who can stay for the small groups uh, in about five or ten minutes, and just any time, just one question, and I think this is such a useful barometer, you know, having been, some of you for decades, been doing the practice now for a while, and especially these last 14 weeks looking at these comprehensive meditation instructions that the Buddha gave and the Anapanasati Sutta, this discourse on mindfulness of breathing, which is really encompasses the whole path of awakening. How do we know whether we're doing it right? (laughs) This is an obvious question. You know, am I doing it right? And the question, like, it isn't so much something that we evaluate during the meditation time. First of all, the practice isn't just about meditation. The meditation just is what we'd like to do all day long, but when we're meditating, we have optimal conditions because it's more simple. We're in a quiet room, for example, or sitting still. So there's just less going on for us to practice. In daily life, it's pretty much the same practice. There's just much more going on, including responsibilities. But the barometer, like if we want to know, am I doing the practice right? Does the practice work? Then the place to look is, how has the practice changed? How you act, how you are in the world. That's the barometer. Who have you become having done the practices that you've been practicing? 
You know, are you becoming a jerk? Are you becoming arrogant? Are you becoming a self-righteous preacher of Buddhism? <laughs> you know, what are we doing with the fruits of our practice? Are you becoming more resilient? Are you becoming more spacious? Are you becoming more creative and nimble as you do whatever you do in your life? Are you becoming more sensitive? Do you have more capacity to feel the enormity of suffering and not be flattened by it and to continue to be responsive to do what can be done in your particular location, in your particular place in life? Do you trust who you're becoming having done the practice? And uh, one of the reasons I thought it would be nice to look at the paramis um, as we move on from the, the, the series of talks on the mindfulness of breathing is the paramis is a nice list to kind of get a sense of, you know, are those wholesome qualities, trustworthy qualities getting cultivated, like generosity, like this deep valuing of non-harming, sila, like equanimity or kindness, or resoluteness, fearlessness, or wisdom, or patience, or this capacity to let go, renunciation. So I don't know if I got all ten, but those are the paramis, most of them at least, um, that we'll be moving through in the weeks ahead. And they're the, it's a, a useful way to get a sense of like, oh, these are the qualities of you know, kind of habit qualities of this heart and mind. Are they wholesome? Well, what do I mean by wholesome? Well, then you can use that list of the ten paramis. And, you know, you could cut it any number of different ways. And in the later traditions, they have seven paramis instead of the ten. So, you know, it's it doesn't have to be the this exact set of ten. But it is the kind of list that, you know, if ever you were to get from whatever culture or group of human beings together and like what kind of person would you like to be or what kind of person would you want to be around, we would probably come up with some of these same ten qualities or whatever, however we divided it. Because we directly experience these, whether internally or externally, by seeing them in another person as wholesome and trustworthy and useful, functional. So this may be you know, what you want to bring up in class. And it's really important at this time, you know, just with so much moving here, especially in, in the Minneapolis, Minnesota area, with the recent killing and the trial, as well as, you know, what we're all experiencing with the pandemic and many other things happening. And, uh, you know, just to understand that it isn't, it isn't enough just to, you know, acknowledge suffering. Suffering itself, I really love this line in Sharon Salzberg's book on loving kindness, a really beautiful book written maybe more than 20 years ago now, I think. Loving kindness, the re revolutionary art of happiness. But early in that book, Sharon says something, this is a rough paraphrase, you know, suffering itself is not redemptive. Suffering is suffering. But Learning how to meet suffering, learning how to open, learning how to be transformed by the truth of our own suffering and the suffering of the world, that's what's really transform, transformative. 
And that's a little bit what we're learning in that last part of the 16 steps. Because opening to impermanence is edgy. I don't know if anybody caught uh, on the radio, National Public Radio program On Being with Krista Tippetts. She interviewed Resma Menachem. She actually interviewed him about a year ago, but it was replayed this morning. I, I caught it. You know, it's at six o'clock in Minneapolis on our public radio station. And I had listened to it before when it first happened a year ago. But he says something, he makes this point, you know, around working with racial trauma and our racial conditioning. It's like when we're in a racial moment, to notice that edge where we get activated. And for like a white person, it might be just being in a space that isn't dominated by whiteness, might be somewhat activating for us. And to like how useful those moments of activation are for learning. Oh, I'm seeing something I really should be seeing. This is good to see. What is this fear about? What is this anger about? What is this numbness about? Or whatever it is that's there. And this is sort of in a deeper spiritual sense, what we're doing, having stabilized present moment awareness, having really refreshed the heart, body and mind with ease, with peacefulness, with spaciousness, then we, on purpose, we look at the ephemeral, changing, uncertain, vulnerable nature. And we keep that in mind. And we see the activation, we see the cost of being in denial of change. And it, it's seen as an unneeded burden and letting go happens. So any kind of transformation of our ancient conditioning, all our woundedness, all of the roots of hate, all the roots of greed, and all the roots of injustice, all the roots of being closed down and distracted and in denial, they require getting to that edge where we're, in a sense, feeling what it feels like to have been operating in that way. And then that's what allows letting go to happen. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.